The security clearance process is complicated. Maybe you find yourself applying for a position with the national security community and then finding yourself with questions you don't know how to answer. Maybe you've held an active security clearance for decades and now find yourself wondering if you need to report that DUI or if your bankruptcy will be flagged under the new continuous vetting program. Security clearance policies are changing and it can be hard to keep up. Whether you're a security clearance applicant, defense industry hiring manager, or government agency, it's okay to have questions. We have the answers. Welcome to Security Clearance Insecurity on Federal News Radio. Brought to you by your host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com and Sean Bigley. Hi, this is Lindy Kaiser with clearancejobs.com and welcome to this episode of Security Clearance Insecurity on Federal News Radio. Today, I'm super excited to be talking with Vince Berga. He is the chairman and co-founder of Skillstorm. And if you haven't heard of Skillstorm yet, you should. They are a really awesome company that are helping to accelerate tech careers, coming at the problem of finding, acquiring, getting enough tech talent into careers from a few different angles, which I absolutely love. Certainly a relevant topic to get in front of the federal news radio audience, where I know we have a lot of government listeners, a lot of industry listeners, a lot of candidates, folks interested in the security clearance process, interested in the career process and onboarding. Talking about tech careers, very relevant today. Certainly we have a still a major hiring push across the federal government and efforts to get more talent onboarded. So I think it's a good time to be talking with Skillstorm, kind of learn a little bit more about what their mission is, what they do, and how they are helping to accelerate tech careers. So thank you so much, Vince, for joining me to be on the show today. It's great to be here, Lindy. Thank you. So first, just tell me a little bit about Skillstorm from your vantage, because you do so many things, which is obviously I love, but that can make it a little bit hard to know what your core mission is and what you're doing. So for a listener who isn't familiar with you, what kind of services and resources do you provide both to tech talent and also for employers in this space? I think a good way to think about it at the highest level, our mission is to really help create net new tech talent and bring it to the market at scale. So our purpose as an organization is to accelerate opportunity. And for us, that means to get our customers and to get our stormers further faster as a result of their relationship with Skillstorm. So I guess drilling down a little bit, you know, we are, I guess, considered to be leaders in the design, build, deploy space. And so what that means is we custom design, build, and deploy cohesive U.S.-based tech teams, and then we deliver them at scale to our enterprise clients who are primarily the large global systems integrators and large federal systems integrators. Okay, so you tied into my next question. You're talking about federal systems integrators. Talk a bit about that. So federal agencies, how can your program help create a pipeline to help serve that current government talent shortage, which we hear so much about? Just to give you an example, we a number of the large federal systems integrators are our clients. So we engage with them at a really strategic level, you know, pretty high in their organizations. And when they are competing for work or they've won work and they need to deliver, we'll work with them on a strategy and try to forecast out for the next 12 to 24 months what their tech needs are going to be. And then once we understand that, we, we essentially then work to build these teams at scale. So we'll collaborate with our clients. We'll get an in-depth understanding of their tech stack. We will build curriculum specifically to their tech stack, get use cases from them, get as much information as we can about their environment. Then we go about building the team. So we have pipelines of great talent coming in from the military, a lot of first-generation college graduates as well. 
We assess them for potential. We bring the best ones into our program. And then we train them specifically to our client's tech stack. We're there in a three to four month immersive program. They get paid to train while they're in the program. Same pay rate as a full-time developer. So we've got a lot of skin in the game. It's a very intense training. And they spend that three or four months you know, learning everything about that organization and obviously learning the technology when the program's complete. Then we deploy them as a contractor and they they go to work for those clients. That's amazing because it really hits on the pain points we see on both sides of this process, right? So clearance jobs, we hear from candidates often talking about how, hey, we have all of this need. I got a certification or I have some degree of interest, but it's not necessarily matched the opportunity. Same way with you know the, the companies on that side of it. Hey, they have these needs or they have this desire to upskill or reskill their talent. And you kind of really help bridge that gap completely and perfectly for those both those companies and those candidates to help move them into those positions. Am I understanding that correctly? That is correct. So there's really two sides of our business. So the model I just explained to you, we call that our design, build, deploy. We sometimes refer to it as our, our next gen solution, uh, like the next generation of talent. And that's when we're delivering these cohesive teams at scale. The other side of our business is an ed tech platform that we call Accelerator. And that's where we provide upskilling, reskilling, and corporate tech training services to our clients. We also do work in that regard for the federal government directly in terms of training and also uh, a number awesome. of universities. Yeah, so talk a little bit about veterans because I know veterans are you know a key demographic that we have in the cleared space and also looking to kind of onboard and move into a lot of these federal government positions and government contracting positions. We hear often, again, that pain point around, again, maybe they go out, they get a certification or they try to get some baseline skill, but they don't necessarily know how to match it to an opportunity. So talk about, I know SkillStorm has some very specific programs and opportunities for veterans. What do some of those look like? Sure. Yeah. So it's a very important part of what we do. It's, you know, it's something that we're really passionate about. I spent quite some time in government contracting, worked with a lot of ex-military members. And, you know, what we found was they had a a lot of passion to continue, you know, serving the country in, in a certain way. And, you know, they would come out with dedicated to the mission with really strong soft skills. And really that's, you know, we found if we can find somebody with pretty good technical acumen and really good soft skills, you know, we can get them the technical skills that they need to succeed. So we have, uh, for example, a contract with the Veterans Administration where we uh, train transitioning service members. That's with the VA. It's called the Vet Tech Program. That's pretty interesting. We're uh, one of only a few Vet Tech providers. So we only get paid to train those individuals if they get jobs. And, you know, that's really in alignment with our mission. There's lots of great companies out there that do training. But then again, a lot of them, you know, they're just happy to take take the dollars for training and, and the outcomes aren't necessarily there. Everything we do is, is based around outcomes. We also just rolled out a new program that we're really excited about. Well, we also do uh, Army and Air Force Cool, which is, uh, you know, really important part of our program. In alignment with those programs, uh, any veteran that we train, we also offer a scholarship to their spouse or one of their dependents to, to get the same type of training. So that's a couple examples of things that we're doing to, you know, really help the veterans and, and their families, you know, make that transition into uh, civilian life. I love that. I love that scholarship for a spouse piece. I think that's 
awesome that you do that. Again, the capacity to use those cool credits to get some credentialing while you're still in the service or as you're transitioning, super important. And again, how you tie it to a position or a job. So maybe speak to that a little bit further. For veterans who are coming in and doing some of these programs, will they have the opportunity through Skillstorm to actually interact with employers as they're kind of offboarding from training? Or how does some of that matchmaking piece of it happen on that side of it? Yeah, 100%. So there's a couple different avenues they can take uh, upon graduation from one of our programs. We have an entire team that is dedicated to building relationships with employers, you know, that are hiring at scale. And so we work with those companies and make sure that uh, the veterans have a home once they're trained. But also a lot of them, we end up hiring and bringing into our more intense last mile training that I was describing earlier. We put them on a pathway there to actually work with Skillstorm. So so there's a couple of different ways that we do that. Awesome. And every time I turn around, it seems like you have a new university partnership. So kind of talk about those university partnerships. What do those look like? And how does partnering with universities tie into your strategy for accelerating tech opportunity? Accelerating is a great word. We call it our accelerator program. And colleges and universities do, a, I think, a great job of getting some of the sort of high level skills and, and the concepts to you know help the students understand those types of things. They're not all really great at training them to use the specific tools that are you know, really prominent in industry today. That's kind of where we pick up the ball and run with it from there. So they use our online accelerator program where people can get certified in cloud, cyber, you know, full stack and AI technologies with you know, all the technology vendors that you're familiar with, you know, AWS, uh, Salesforce, ServiceNow, SAP, there's, you know, there's a bunch of them on there. The universities partner with us and they white label our platform and use it as part of their continuing education program. So it gives their students, alumni, and, uh, you know, extended network access to those skills. And for us, again, that's great because, you know, that gives us a, a pipeline of individuals that, you know, we can then bring in to our design, build, deploy program. I like that piece of it. I think it's a good way to kind of encourage some folks to, and I don't know if this happens, but have a non-traditional degree background to consider adding some of those basic STEM tech skills. Because I, I feel like my Rolodex is growing with attorneys who now work in cyber and humanities majors and a lot of folks who didn't have a degree background that necessarily screamed, hey, I'm going to be a kick butt developer, but clearly had the brain and capacity for it and could layer on something like what you're doing with Skillstorm and really advance their career a lot further. Yeah, we see that a lot. I mean, there's uh, we've had music majors, history majors. I think part of it is because, you know, there is so much free information available out there where people can become, you know, somewhat competent on their own in, in various technologies. But again, kind of getting that last mile real world training and then getting connected with a job, that's the tough part, especially if they don't have a computer science degree. But about 25% of the people that we work with, you know, don't have any kind of, you know, technical degree at all. So, We've been very successful in, you know, helping people that want to break into the tech world, you know, be able to do that. And, you know, they turn out to be some of our best employees. Yeah, I love that, too. And I think it ties into I know OPM kind of announced last month they were doing some updates on, you know, hopefully opening up for federal job opportunities specifically saying, hey, even if you don't have all of the degree requirements, all of the check the block criteria, which can really seem like a, a big piece of what it takes to get into federal government employment. If you have the skills and you can demonstrate the skills through something like a certification or training that was obtained through a partnership like Skillstorm, 
that's key. And I hope, I think the only way we're going to meet the federal job requirements that we have now in the openings is if we have more avenues and unique avenues to getting folks onboarded into those positions. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on something that's really critical. So I think there's a couple things, you know, going on right now, sort of secular trends that, you know, I would like to see continue to gain momentum. One of them is what you just alluded to, which is skills-based hiring. So I think there's been four or five states in the last several months that have eliminated degree requirements for a lot of their technical jobs. And you're hearing a lot of companies within industry starting to talk about that and and take steps in that direction. And because on the other side of the equation, you know, a big proponent of higher ed, owe a lot to University of Central Florida where I went, but not everybody has access to a you know, to a college education. And unfortunately, that seems to be becoming more and more expensive. So, you know, we sort of look at ourselves as potentially being that, you know, connective tissue that can provide alternative pathways to to these types of jobs. Because, I, you know, I don't look at it as an either or thing. It's not like we're going to be putting universities out of business, but we just need more. We need more bright minds working on these things. I mean, you know, look at any one of these skill sets between cyber and and, uh, and cloud and now AI. There are hundreds of thousands of jobs that are open right now. You know, I don't know if we ever talked about this before, Lindy, but each year in this country, we graduate 4 million people with various degrees. Only 70,000 of them have computer science or related degrees. And that number hasn't really changed in about a decade and a half. And by the way, about half of that 70,000 ends up being underemployed with sort of, you know, low level tech support jobs or not in tech at all, just because they didn't get that very specific training and they didn't, you know, get connected to a job with a great company. So, you know, that's a big part of our vision for the future is to start to, you know, engage uh, earlier in the sort of supply chain, engaging people when they're younger and giving them the tools and putting them on a pathway, you know, to where they can access those types of jobs in the future. Yeah, I think that's a critical piece of it. And that's what I love to see with Skillstorm and what you're doing, because it's not just, hey, you only need certifications, you don't need a college degree. I mean, you have, you know, university partnerships, because you know, there's a lot of folks coming out of those programs that need that. We know, again, applying the skills to veteran talent is a key part of, especially for the defense industry, where they rely on those folks who have security clearances to come in. But when you have that many job openings and gaps, you're just not going to fill it by having a one size fits all talent solution. And that's just not the job market that we look at today. Folks are not taking the linear year career paths that they used to and even staying with a single employer for that long. So we kind of have to create avenues for career change and transfer and skill transfer. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, there's tons of people out there you know, with the potential and desire to do it, you know, we just, you know, need to, and there's a number of other companies that are also working on a lot of, you know, creative sort of private sector, you know, solutions in this area. And, you know, we need that, right? I mean, obviously our, our audience here is, you know, going to be involved maybe at some level with, with government contracting, but, you know, it, not to over-dramatize it, but, you know, in some ways it certainly is a national security threat when you're talking about cyber and with AI coming in and the frequency and sophistication of attacks that we're going to be seeing, it's hard to predict. You can imagine it's going to you know, become pretty severe. And, you know, the way I look at it, it's not, we're not really necessarily engaged in an arms race, you know, when it comes to cyber, but it is a, it is a brains race, right? We're going to need more and more smart people 
working on these kinds of problems. Absolutely. I think every day at Clearance Jobs, we're covering something related to the AI piece. There's a new ransomware attack. There's a new, I mean, and it's affecting, you know, company bottom lines, whether you're federal government or private sector, wherever you're at. Like if you don't have qualified, competent cyber skills and cyber talent, you're absolutely vulnerable. And I think the government has done a decent job about educating on that. Like a lot of companies who aren't even in the DIB, who don't even, who aren't even serving the government as a primary customer need to have really robust cyber protections just because, I mean, everybody has some kind of data that some adversary is definitely trying to get. Yeah. And, they, you know, there, there's some new guidelines uh, that are coming from the federal government in regards to cyber. So even a lot of how companies in the private sector, how they were doing business and, you know, sending a lot of their work offshore, they're not going to be able to send as much offshore anymore, which again is going to put even a bigger strain, you know, on the talent supply that we have here in the States. Okay. And last but not least, I want to talk about your partnership with Clearance Jobs. That's obviously a big part of it, the conversation when we're talking with folks, you know, we have, there've been a lot of movement and layoffs across the broader tech space. So we've had a lot of folks say, Hey, you know, what are you talking about with the talent shortage? We have all of this tech talent that's on the move. A key piece of that is you have to have the security clearance to work in a lot of those positions. So I love this where, you know, clearance jobs, we kind of have this key demographic where we're reaching out to clear talent. Skillstorm obviously has a lot going on working with veteran talent and onboarding other folks and then the capacity to help them get cleared. So kind of talk a little bit more about your support of cleared talent specifically and maybe your partnership with clearance jobs. Absolutely. So extremely excited to be partnering with you guys. I, I think you hit the, the nail on the head, obviously, in the federal space, clearances are often required and you know, we believe that there's a faster path to getting these roles filled if you have somebody with the clearance and you can get them the technical skills, you know, versus you have somebody with the technical skills. And, and then by the time you get them the clearance, oftentimes it, it just doesn't happen fast enough. So you guys have such a massive reach in the space. I think it's a tremendous opportunity for uh, the users of your platform, you know, when they're looking at opportunities and they might not have the exact match in terms of their skill set, you know, they can engage with Skillstorm. We can help upskill them and train them, get them those certifications, you know, to help them qualify for, you know, other types of roles that that they're interested in and and advancing their career. Again, I think it's a it's a great opportunity, you know, for your users and got a lot of traction and you know hope to see more and more people taking advantage of it. Absolutely. I'll post a link in the show notes, but you can definitely visit clearancejobs.com. There's a link there to that Skillstorm partnership or go to skillstorm.com or visit clearancejobs.com to learn more about our partnership with Skillstorm. Again, thanks so much, Vince, for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Yeah. And Lindy, if anybody wants to reach out to me directly, they can feel free to shoot me an email at vince at skillstorm.com. You're listening to Security Clearance Insecurity with Sean Bigley and Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com. We're talking this segment about CUI or controlled unclassified information and whether it's CUI or CYA is the more apt descriptor. And Lindy, I, I feel like this is a topic that's been coming up a number of places lately. I've written about it certainly on clearance jobs and I've seen other folks who have kind of been a little spun up about this in the government sector. I think primarily those who have to deal with it on a daily basis and are sort of tired of dealing with it. But is this a topic that you've seen come up in your discussions with folks in the industry? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely been a hot topic. We do an FSO survey every year and we talk, we ask them about pain points. 
CUI. I'm glad you didn't call it CUI or something. I mean, those acronyms, man, they just, there's, they're weird. We've had it come up for security officers as a pain point for a long time. The disconnect we see, and that's why I love this show and our chance to kind of have these conversations because you have that wonky security clearance community, right? If you're a security officer, if you manage controlled classified information as a part of your job, and then you have the day-to-day security clearance holder who, because of how the policy is kind of still rolling out, may or may not have heard of CUI or not know what it is. And I think that's where some of the confusion comes in. Like a lot of these policy changes it goes out to government agencies first, right? And then you get industry with the standards. There's a lot more people working in industry than there are directly for the government. They obviously have a lot more information that could fall under this CUI umbrella, right? They have a information that's not necessarily classified, but that is sensitive that falls underneath this umbrella. So for me, it comes up for clearance jobs, primarily just a lot of What in the heck is this? What is going on with it now? What is the current policy? What are the policies that they apply to agencies or to industry? I think it comes up for me, and I think it's worth talking about here, is I think probably the average person who's sitting in a desk with a security clearance right now may or may not have any clue or have heard what CUI is. Is that your experience with the case? It's interesting that you bring up, you know, industry and contractors, because that's where I see this as the biggest knowledge gap, right? And I think a lot of contractors are surprised to learn that, you know, yes, these policies do apply to them as well when they're producing or creating documents for the government as part of their contractual duties, just like the Privacy Act and other laws that apply to government information can potentially be applicable to contractors as well. And so, you know, contractors are dealing all the time in many cases with Privacy Act protected information. And yet we find a lot of contractors have no clue what the Privacy Act is or how it applies to them. So CUI certainly is, I think, becoming an increasing issue. Uh, Privacy Act materials, of course, just one category or subcategory of CUI. There are certainly others. What I'm finding, though, is is sort of an overcompensation in, in effect, because to your point, you know, yes, a lot of people aren't really aware of this, but I think more people are maybe just sort of subliminally aware of the fact that this exists. They don't really understand what it is. They don't know how they're supposed to handle their responsibilities. And so the default becomes, well, let's just overdo it. Let's kind of label everything CUI. And it cracks me up. I'm actually writing an article about this. I think by the time this episode airs, the article may be out on clearance jobs. But this phenomenon that I've been seeing the last couple of years of government employees and contractors who literally include in every single email that they produce a disclaimer at the bottom. And you may have seen this that says, you know, this email may contain CUI or even better, you know, this email contains CUI. And and I'm curious, have you heard any horror stories of people who have gotten hung up on CUI issues? Or is this still so new that it's it kind of hasn't made it to that point yet? It's still so new that it hasn't made it to that point yet, but your example of folks putting it in their signature block is the perfect example that I give for how it's going to go very poorly very soon. Because as these agencies start to label everything, the issue is we're kind of in, as I understand it, and this is not my wheelhouse or expertise, but we are in a bit of a gap right now, right? Where we have kind of this overarching policy, but not a lot of nuts and bolts around enforcement. Kind of like we have with, we've had with like CMMC and some of the cyber regulations too. CUI kind of is periphery to all of that going on saying, hey, the government really wants to protect more information. We know that our adversaries are after, after things that aren't just classified. So we want to create pr- protections. The hammer's not there, right? So people are just 
looking at a whole lot of nails, but the hammer is eventually going to start coming. And if you are labeling everything CUI, yeah, I just think there's going to be issues down the road caused by the current status that we have with confusion. While I think it's an important effort, I do hate it in the sense that we have such an overclassification problem, right? And Congress is looking into this right now and they're saying, hey, yeah, we're classifying too much. We're not protecting what is classified. So we have top secret documents that are posted on a Discord server, allegedly. And yet we're also throwing labels on a lot more stuff and potentially creating penalties around that. And again, I'm not seeing enforcement of that yet. I haven't seen anybody get in trouble, but based on how it's rolling out, I think they're paving the path for a lot of people to get in trouble. I 100% agree with both those sentiments to your latter point, sort of paving the path. As I sort of wound down my law practice over the past year representing federal employees and contractors, I was starting to see this very, I would say still uncommon, but alarming pattern where some, I would say, rogue security folks were waking up to the idea that this could be a very potent weapon to use against people who they didn't like or who maybe were making, you know, disclosures or complaints about things in the workplace that were inconvenient. I also agree with you 100% philosophically, like we have a huge overclassification problem and I am no fan of obfuscation and withholding information from the public. I'm a huge fan of government transparency. And so philosophically, I don't like the CUI program. I understand the intent behind it. And, you know, obviously predating it, there were things, there were, you know, kind of a a smorgasbord of other acronyms that agencies were using. And this was designed to sort of consolidate all of those and say, we're going to get rid of the old, you know, sensitive but unclassified SBU. And we're going to get rid of the, you know, other markers and designators that, you know, agencies were using. They were also causing confusion. So that's good. At the same time, I mean, you know, yes, we, we do have to wonder if it's contributing to this paranoia problem and this overclassification problem. And also, you know, the big irony of it to your earlier point is when people don't understand it and they are labeling everything as CUI that's not, it, it does also have the potential to go the reverse way because just as you can potentially be you know, setting yourself up for problems rather by not complying with CUI, you can be doing the same by overmarking things and, and improperly labeling things CUI that aren't because when you do that, it necessarily uh, obfuscates things like congressional oversight. And obviously in this day and age, that is something that I think both political parties are very fond of, depending on who's in power. And that is something that that I could also foresee becoming a problem. So bottom line, you know, my recommendation for folks on this issue is and has been for years the same. Go and educate yourself on the CUI policies before you start putting yourself in a position where you're going to potentially get nailed for doing something wrong that you don't even understand. So, you know, go online and stuff is pretty easy to find the CUI registry run by the National Archives and Records Administration, NARA. They are sort of the final word on what qualifies as CUI. There are also some agency-specific policies that supplement it, most notably at the Department of Defense. And so, you know, do your due diligence. Get out there, do some research, do some reading. If you don't understand something or you're not sure if it's applicable at your particular agency, go have a conversation with your security office and get that, you know, ball rolling um, because ultimately, um, you know, you don't want to be left holding the bag. My biggest takeaway here is they should not be allowed to create these policies unless they create training programs around them. Because what you end up is a lot of people that end up doing dumb things because they don't understand that policy is put in place. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Security Clearance Insecurity. Please note the information provided on this program is intended as general information only and should not be construed as legal advice. Consult a security clearance attorney regarding your specific situation. Have a question about security clearance process? Interested in submitting your own topic for security clearance insecurity? Have a question you'd like us to address on a future episode? Drop us an email, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for tuning in to Security Clearance Insecurity with your host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com and Sean Bigley. Join us next time as we continue to answer all the questions about security clearance careers you have, but we're too afraid to ask your security manager.